Thank you to Wildcare and Wildlife Acoustics for sponsoring the Bat Chat podcast. Can you hear that? We can. Wildlife Acoustics creates the world's leading bat acoustic monitoring tools, designed to help scientists make impactful discoveries for our biologically diverse planet, turning this into this. Visit wildlifeacoustics.com to learn more. Wildcare are committed to supporting the ecology industry and are specialists in supplying a large range of monitoring, conservation and habitat management products, as well as equipment hire and service and repair. With a large range of products coupled with friendly and expert help and advice, Wildcare is a favourite supplier for ecologists nationwide. Go to wildcare.co.uk to see the full range and quote BatChat at the checkout for 10% off all bat detectors and bat boxes. Hello, welcome to the next episode in Series 3 of BatChat from the Bat Conservation Trust. Today we're talking books with author and illustrator Emma Reynolds. I'm Steve Rowe, a BCT trustee, and if you're a returning listener, it's great to have you back once again, and if this is your first time, welcome along. Episodes are released every second Wednesday from now through to the spring, and you can join the conversation online. Use the hashtag BatChat, that's all one word. As we meet each of the guests in this series, you'll hear stories from people working to make a difference in the world of bat conservation. You'll hear from people who care about individual species, people who concentrate on one particular part of bat ecology, and people who are working with bats at a landscape scale. As well as keeping up with the latest news and hearing from people in the world of bats, we hope that you'll be inspired to get involved because bats need our help. Today I'm at Chalton Water Park with someone who is spreading the good word about bats through books. Emma Reynolds is an author and illustrator based in Manchester and in September I met Emma at the Chalton Water Park Nature Reserve on a hot summer's day. We found a spot in the shade of some trees by the side of a footpath and you join us as Emma explains the plot of her newly released book Amara and the Bats. Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me on. I'm such a big fan of Batchat. I listen to it all the time. and I've listened to each episode maybe three times, I think. Oh, wow. So it's a very honour to be here. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> so I've always loved bats since I was a kid. And I really wanted to tell a story about bats and specifically bat conservation. So Amara and the Bats is all about a little girl called Amara who loves bats. And her favourite thing to do is collect bat facts and watch the bats with her family at night time. Um, but when her and her family move to a new town, she's really sad to find that the bats no longer live there because they're losing their habitat. So, inspired by real-life youth activists like Greta Thunberg, Dara McAnulty and Takata Ayanai, she rallies her friends and her community to save the bats. And I've always loved bats since I was a kid, so I wanted to make a book all about bats and specifically about bat conservation. Because um, most bat books, um, of the few that there are, um, have a bat main character so I wanted to make a human-centered um, book so that readers could put themselves in Amara's shoes and see how they can help bats as well. I've, one of the questions I've got down here was actually a, a review that I found whilst I was looking online yesterday and one of these reviews said that you've created an, an inspiring story about community action, perseverance and what to do in the face of climate anxiety. Was climate anxiety something that you considered when actually writing it? Yeah, it was. It was a huge part of it, actually. Um, I think we've all felt really overwhelmed, and I, that's something I really wanted to capture in the book. There's a moment where Amara finds out that the bats are no longer there in the park in her new town, 
and she goes home um, feeling very, very blue and has like a horrible feeling in her stomach and sort of just curls up on the bed, um, feeling like the whole weight of the world's crushing down on her. And that's something I really wanted to capture because I felt like that. And I know a lot of young people have climate anxiety. So that at that point in the book is when she discovers that lots of young people around the world are doing things that can make a difference, especially to conservation. And that's when she becomes inspired to do something that she can. And it's all about, you know, starting locally, thinking globally and following your passions for something that you really care about. And that can really make a difference to conservation. I mean, things like all those things you've just described there are clearly very hot topics at the minute, particularly in schools and things. Mm -hmm. Do you think that going forward, future children's books will start to have that sort of trend of, 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 of talking about those subjects for children? Yeah, I think, um, I think since the youth climate strikes um, in 2019, late 2018, um, a lot of the books were fast-tracked so that we had books about Greta Thunberg almost straight away, which was a really fast turnaround for publishing. Um, but yeah, I think in general we're going to see a huge amount of books about um, saving the planet, um, what we can do about the climate crisis, and they're, they're already on the shelves now, and I think we're just going to see more of that, which can only be a good thing because it's the collective consciousness that needs to change, and eventually that will lead to hopefully a cultural shift, which will eventually lead to politicians doing what they should be doing. And what what did you do before Amara and the Bats? Are, are you a right? Had you published before this, or was this your first book? So this is my first um, author illustrator uh, book. So this is my debut as author and illustrator. Before this, I illustrated one book, um, but I'm quite new to publishing. Um, I got my agent in 2018, and now it's 2021, so a few years. Um, but yeah, before that, I had a background in um, character design for kids TV, but I wanted to tell my own stories. So I worked on my portfolio and made this dummy book of Amara and the Bats, which I thought of in 2016. So it's been like a good five years I've had this story in my head and it's it's so such an honour and so nice to see it out in the wild and that I managed to make it a reality. And what's the sort of process of publishing? I mean, is five years sort of the typical length of publishing a book or can it just vary in, in terms of what's going on at the time? I think it varies. I mean, five, that five-year span I mentioned was literally me thinking of the idea um, and then because I was working full-time, I had to do stuff in my evenings and weekends. Um, but in terms of us actually getting the book deal and it coming to publication, it's, it is usually a couple of years because you need to spend a year, like six months minimum to a year making the book and then it joins the back of the queue uh, for the marketing and yeah so it's usually two or three years between um, a, a success successful pitch uh, a successful pitch and uh, publication. So the book was released here in the UK on the 22nd of July how well has the book been received so far? Yeah really well um, as far as I can tell uh, <laughs> but yeah I've had some absolutely amazing feedback from parents and um, and kids there's one, the few that, uh, a few that stick in my mind especially is um, a kid that read the book and then immediately ran upstairs and dressed all in grey like a bat, <laughs> which I thought was so adorable. Um, and a few um, kids have already, you know, begged their parents to put up a bat box in the garden and they're like now obsessed with bats and I, that's just more than I could ever have hoped for because um, that was exactly my aim and for it to actually happen is, is more than I could have dreamed of really. 
I guess it must be nice when you hear those stories of the kids who have read those books and then actually take action themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the aim of it. I mean, it's it's a fiction book, but it's got a lot of non-fiction elements weaved in. There's bat facts throughout. And at the end, there's a lot of back matter all about um, more bat facts, how echolocation works, how you can um, look after bats at home, uh, how to put up a bat box or bat house as they're known in the U.S., and there's lots of links in the back as well, including Bat Conservation Trust, of course. And why bats? What was it about bats that made you want to make this the, the focus of the book? Uh, I just absolutely love bats. I've always loved them since I was a kid. Um, and I just don't think there's uh, that many books about them. There's a, there's obviously a few really good ones, um, but nothing compared to how many books there are about bears or rabbits or um, a lot of the popular animals. And I just felt like they were a bit of an underdog, really, and I just really wanted to show everyone how amazing they are and in doing the research for the book I fully came to understand you know how vital they are to all life on earth you know the pollination they're good biodiversity indicators um you know they eat crop destroying insects and save farmers billions of pounds and dollars a year um they're just incredible and yeah I just really wanted to celebrate them and I felt like microbats especially uh needed uh, a chance to shine because Fruit bats are very, very popular because um, they look like sky puppies and they're obviously absolutely adorable. But I really wanted to show microbats up close. And, you know, most of bats in the world are microbats. There's 1,200 out of 1,400. And I wanted to show people what microbats were like up close, the bats that they're most likely to see flying above their heads. I was going to say, when I was growing up, there, weren't, there was only two books, I think, that were about bats for children, which mm-hmm. was Silverwing and Sunwing. Yeah. which are taken from the perspective of the bats. And I know over in the US, there's another one called Stella Luna. Yeah, that's really popular. They actually um, uh, were both wrapped by the same agency, which is quite oh, really? funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so main subjects about bats, and you've decided to write a children's book. Why write a book specifically for kids? I absolutely love picture books. I think they're such an incredible medium. And I um, fully believe that they're not, just for kids um there's picture books about really tough topics like um war immigration depression and they could be such a powerful learning tool but for me picture books um they're incredibly powerful they're humans first experiences of stories they're often read together at bedtime snuggled up together with the parent or carer and it's just an incredible moment for bonding and those stories are so enduring I remember books from 25 years ago when I was really young and I still remember them now even though I haven't reread them. So picture books are super powerful in that um, those messages we carry into adulthood, they can teach us empathy, um, they can inspire lifelong passion for a subject and seeing some of the comments about my book and that the kids are now bat, bat fans, bat obsessives, it just like makes me so happy to think that they might grow up to love bats or even become a bat conservationist um that's what it's all about for me and i think um inspiring the next generation is uh, such an important job it certainly can work because those two books that i used to read and all the materials that are produced by shirley thompson for the young bat worker you know mm. that inspired me as a kid and here i am now exactly the BCT, yeah. <laughs> um so did you know anything about bats before writing the book and did you have to get out there and learn about bats before writing it I knew a a bit, but I would definitely not call myself an expert when I started. And I think that was quite useful in a way because I was coming to it um, 
in a kind of very open-minded, curious way. It kind of helped me write the book and know what facts other people who are coming to it fresh would need to know as well. Um, and joining my local back group, which is the South Flanks back group, um, was super, super useful. And I had such an amazing time there. Bef- Pre-COVID, I was able to go on a back box check, a licensed um, check. And um, I got to see a nocturnal bat in the hand up close. And that just like was the best experience ever. Um, they're so, so cute. And that was something that I wanted to capture in the book is that um, feeling of, oh my goodness, that's what they look like up close. Because it's something most people don't get to experience. And it's what a lot of bat workers and bat carers have told me that got them first either changing their subject matter in uni or like getting into bat work was seeing them in the hand. And um, yeah, so I've, I've learned a huge amount researching the book. Steve Parker, my bat group leader, was kind enough to fact check the book for me, as well as Lizzie Platt and Merlin Tuttle, who also gave additional fact checking. And um, yeah, because I wanted to make sure it was as accurate as, as I could. And you mentioned there that bats aren't very well known. I guess that's another reason why um, it's probably so popular is that the kids of today probably don't know that much about bats themselves. Because again, it's one of those creatures that are out at night, isn't it? So I guess the kids yeah. are intrigued by by something being nocturnal. Can you, you're, you're based here at Manchester. We're based here at Chalton Water Park today, just on the edge of Manchester. What do we know about the bats of Manchester? I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> oh, bats of <laughs> Manchester. So we see a lot of the different kinds of pipistrels. We see nocturnals, serotines, um, and dobentons. Uh, I love looking for dobentons because um, you know it's them for a start because they're always along the water. Um, and I've been learning how to distinguish between the different types of pipistrels. I'm still practicing, but um, <laughs> I was really happy when I uh, identified my first nocturnal um, by its flight pattern. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> so, I mean, in the story, Amara, in where she lives first off in the first house, she's got loads of bats around her and then she moves with her parents to a different area yeah. where there's loads of development and there's not so many bats in that area. Was Manchester the inspiration for the book setting? It was. So I know, um, I knew that I had to make it a tiny bit universal because my main publisher is the US and the UK one, although I'm based here, is actually the export edition. So it wasn't, I didn't use any particular landmarks, but I was definitely inspired by having lived in the Manchester city centre for five years and the crazy amount of, um, flat developments, luxury flats, uh, because every last patch of green in Manchester city centre is being built on. And that obviously affects wildlife corridors. It affects anyone having anywhere nice to sit. Um, so it was definitely inspired by that, the wanting to save the park in the city. Uh, that was massively inspired by Manchester, yeah. Can you remember your first memory of a bat? What was the first encounter you had? Uh, I actually can't, but I remember one of the main reasons I loved bats when I was really young is because you made one of those bat kits that were around in the 90s. You can still buy now, I think, um, where you can sew your own bat. Um, but I remember seeing them um, when we were camping, I think, at night, and my parents would point them out to me. Um, and then I saw fruit bats in the zoo. So, yeah, I didn't I didn't see bats that much. Um, but I, this, that's another reason I wanted to tell people, you know, that they are around. You just have to know where to look and when to look. And what do you think is the current perception about bats amongst children at the moment? I mean, I can't speak for all children, but um, the ones that have told me that they, the ones that have read the book, um, 
they're just really excited. They think they're adorable. They want to help them just like Amara. And I just think, you know, because kids don't have those um, preconceived notions and they might not have been told the kind of horror stories yet that are complete myths about bats, um, they're really open-minded and they just, they're just excited to learn. And I think they're really excited when they see them in their own garden or their local park because I think they just didn't realise they were there. Um, and when they do, they, they're just so excited to see them every night. Have you been invited to any schools to do readings yet? I've been to a library and another workshop, but um, it's only been out six weeks. Yeah. So I'm really hoping... Early days. Yeah, early <laughs> days. And I'm, I can't wait to do more community outreach and go into schools um, and do my workshops. And were there any books that you read as a child that inspired a love of nature? Oh... That's a really good question. I loved the flower. Oh, the wasp. <laughs> That's a really good question. I loved the flower fairies books growing up. Um, I'm trying to think. I just loved illustrated books, and I'm sure some of them had um, nature in. But I think because I was lucky enough to grow up in the countryside, um, kind of in the middle of nowhere, uh, I was just in it a lot. We we'd go walking, we'd make dens, you know, um, we'd would go camping for summer holidays so I think I think I just um when you grow up there you kind of just think that's normal and then when I moved to the city you have a greater appreciation of finding those spots of green um you know and making sure that you get back get back into nature when you live in the city I'm doing very well today calm around this one <laughs> get out of here <laughs> I had one earlier that was trying to attack my baked beans and I was like get out of here um, we should say where it's available to purchase. Where can you buy Amara and the Bats from? Well, um, you can buy Amara and the Bats from all good independent bookshops. So I always encourage people to shop local. Um, you can also buy it in all the usual places online. And it really helps to leave book reviews on the big Amazon, even if you don't buy it from there, just because then it ranks higher in algorithms and then I get to make more books. Very nice. Um, what I mean, I was going to say, touch on that. What's your what's your view of independent bookstores and and the future of of books and publishing? I guess. Oh, independent bookshops are absolutely vital. Um, I think they're under obviously a huge amount of pressure, like most of the high street is, to create more of an experience, not just be a shop. Because people, COVID or otherwise, you know, they might want to shop from home. They might find the cheaper deal online. But I think it's really important to remember that even though you might find a book 20% cheaper on Amazon. It's because they don't pay the tax and <laughs> that's why they're undercutting businesses. So if you support your local indie, um, that also helps authors. It helps the community. Um, and yeah, a lot of them run events and like lots of stuff for kids. So yeah, always, always try and support local if you can and get involved. Uh, in the link to the show notes, I'm going to put a link to a website that allows you to buy books from your local bookstore um, or even if you buy it from a large bookstore that allows you to donate a percentage of the sale so we'll put that in the the link to the show notes bookshop.org that's yeah. the one thank you <laughs> and have you got any other books planned at the moment yes i'm working on one that Ooh. i pitched in 2020 but i can't say what it is yet oh, even though i've had the book <laughs> deal for over a year i still can't talk about it but if you are fans of the environmental themes of amara you'll definitely like this book are you allowed to say whether it'll follow Amara herself? It's not about Amara, 
it's for a slightly older audience and it's not just me in it it's me and lots of other people so Ooh, that's nice. all i can say <laughs> but i'm really excited about it watch this space folks yeah um so just moving on to your social media you're very active on social media and just last night you were doing was it last night or the night before I don't know what day it is. <laughs> uh, what is time? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It was last night. It feels like night. ages ago. <laughs> um, so even just last night you were doing a, a face, uh, an Instagram live, and this is part of a series that you're doing called Back Chat Live, isn't it? It's a Back Club Live. Back Club Live. Uh, Back Chat's such a good name, but it's already taken <laughs> by a good Steve. Back um, Club Live. Yeah, Back Club Live is an Instagram live series where I chat to back experts from all over the world, live on Instagram every Tuesday at 6 p.m. So I've got two more of this like mini series and then I start them again a couple of weeks after that and they lead all the way to the end of the year. Very nice. So yeah, I had some really good chats with people. It's been good. Great stuff. So we'll put the link to Emma's social media accounts in the show notes. But yeah, I just want to say thank you very much, Emma, for thank you so much. taking the time to sit in the shade on this really uncomfortably hot <laughs> summer's so day. It's so hot. We keep getting attacked by wasps, don't we? <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> thank, thank you, you. Steve. Thank you. Bye. And thank you to Emma for meeting me on that incredibly hot day back in September. And thank you to you for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you take a look at the show notes, you'll find links to Emma's website and social media pages, as well as that bookshop link that we mentioned. Now, last episode, we launched Batchat's first ever competition. Emma, who you've just heard from, and children's author Angela Mills have kindly donated prizes. Angela has donated a copy of Bobby the Brown on Geared Bat, signed by both Angela and Chris Packham, and Emma has donated a copy of her newly released book, Amara and the Bats. To enter the competition, to win one of these brilliant books, all you have to do is write us a review about the show, and the two winners will be picked at random at the end of this series. Not all podcast apps allow you to leave reviews, so if you're an Apple device user, leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts app, which is already installed on your device. If you're an Android user, you can leave us a review on the Podcast Addict app. And if you don't listen to the show on a mobile device, you can write your review on the Podchaser website. Instructions of how to leave your review in each of these places can be found in the show notes of this episode. Remember, we need to be able to contact you if you win. So when you leave your review, make sure you give us your Twitter or Instagram handle in the review. If you don't use these, drop us an email to comms at bats.org.uk with a copy of your review. We're only able to post the prizes to addresses in the United Kingdom. If you've missed any of that, it's all in the show notes of this episode. We'll be back in two weeks with Rich Flight from Cumbria Bat Group, who has been surveying the Lake District Hills for bats. And I'll leave you with a taste of what's to come in that next episode. I'll see you then. I started off with a few little trips up there just at night, just to um, just see if I can find them. And I kind of, kind of quite audaciously started off with a... wasn't a proper advertised activity but I did advertise it locally and a couple of families uh, decided they wanted to come along and at this point I didn't actually know if we were going to find any bats so we went up into the into the um, hills at night complete with kids who were staying up late Um, and we went to Stickletarn anybody knows that it's quite an easy route up but it is 550 meters up in in the hills and uh, and we just kind of waited. Now lots of you have seen me in branded t-shirts and hoodies with the Batchat logo on and you've all been asking me when they'll be available. Well, we're thrilled to let you know that a whole range of Batchat clothing and tote bags is now available for you on our T-Mill store. The link's in the show notes. 
Whether you're a long-time supporter or a new member of the Batchat family, we can't wait for you to share your photos of you wearing our merch on social media. Be sure to tag the Bat Conservation Trust in your posts. If you're listening to Batchat on Google Podcasts, we wanted to let you know that Google have announced they plan to discontinue their app later this year. So we recommend making the switch to an alternative podcast app. And we've put some links in the show notes to alternative apps that you can follow Batchat on so that you don't miss any future episodes.